Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about things in the scriptures that have become real to us because we believe that helps us apply them more to our lives, and we need all the power we can get out of the scriptures. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and I'm so happy to have with me tonight uh, one of my former students from Jerusalem. Uh, I think, if I remember right, you were even like the head of my travel committee or something like that, and uh, it helped uh, all the field trips work well. Um, this is Brooke Stacy, who... I'll let you tell our, uh, tell everyone a little bit more about yourself, but she was uh, in the nursing program when uh, I was with her, and I know it's gone on from there, so I'll let her tell you, but welcome, Brooke. Yeah, hey, so I was in the 2016 summer group with Dr. Muelstein, and I finished BYU's nursing program in 2016, and I've just been working as a nurse for the last six and a half years, and I'm actually back at BYU again doing my master's in their family nurse practitioner program, so... Yep. And you're almost uh, done, almost going to be a nurse practitioner, right? Yeah, I just am going to finish up after the spring term in June, so pretty exciting. Uh, that's fun, and so some some of uh, our audience may at some point uh, have you as their nurse practitioner. That would be fantastic. They'd be lucky. They'd be in good hands. <laughs> Thank you. Brooke took care, uh, good care of uh, even my family, but uh, all sorts of people on those field trips, just making sure they were all right. So it was it was good. Still, You're still doing that kind of stuff. Thank Thanks, Brooke. Yeah, no and where are you from originally? I'm originally from Virginia on the East Coast, just a little town about 45 minutes southwest of D.C. All right. Well, good. Well, thank you for taking time to be with us. Um, and I know you uh, have had a number of things that have made the scriptures become very real for you. So uh, we're hoping you'd share uh, one of those with us. Yeah. So one of my favorite stories, and I think it stuck out to me while I was in Jerusalem um, because I was in BYU's nursing program and learning about the healer's art and learning about how to be more like the Savior Jesus Christ. And so when we went to the pools of Bethesda, we talked about um, the man who had been sick for 38 years and he lost hope in ever making it into the pools um, for his miracle to be healed. And when Christ talked to him, he asked him why he'd never jumped in the water. And the man responds, I have no man to help me. Mm. And this part of the story just like hit a strong chord with me um, because I feel like there's a lot of people in our own lives that have no man to help them. Uh, I've worked as a nurse, like I said, for the last six and a half years, and my job has been to help and love and give service to people. But even outside of that, I've realized that there's always people in our lives that need someone to help them, that need someone to lend a hand and give them love and service. And the Savior is waiting for us to be his hands on the earth. And I think I've gotten a little bit of taste of that in my job, helping people. But I've also realized that the more I look outwards and see those around me, the more I realize how often the Savior really does need us to be his hands on the earth. Um, one of my favorite quotes is actually by Henry B. Eyring. I used to keep it on my laptop screen, but now I just kind of remember it and hold it close. But it says, you hold in your hands the happiness of more people than you can imagine. And I think when we think about that for a second, um, we we really can have a much bigger impact than we realize. And I can't even imagine waiting for 38 years like that man did um, that Jesus talked to. I haven't even been alive for 38 years, so I can't imagine waiting more than my own lifetime. But yeah. I think that 
if we look around us, there's always more people that need love and service. And I think that story just made the scripture so real for me when I really like took it into context. Well, that's, that's powerful. Um, really powerful. Maybe let's, if it's all right together, we can explore just some of the kind of nuts and bolts of that story in the pool of Bethesda. And then, um, I circle back around to what you were talking about. So, um, this is the the story where you have, as you mentioned, that the the tradition is that there's an angel that stir, stirs the water, um, and that people can be healed if they get in. I'm I'm just having to hold my scriptures here so I can see them. But uh, there's a uh, if you can get in when uh, the water's been uh, kind of stirred or troubled. Uh, then you can be healed, right? Now, some of those verses are actually, we don't find them in any of the earliest um, editions or the, the earliest Greek texts. Uh, they, they seem to be added later, especially this stuff about st- the troubling of the water. And so a lot of people think that they are added later, but I actually don't think so, because I, I think we can actually find, I mean, maybe I'm not uh, a New Testament like uh, early text uh, critic or, or expert, but but archaeologically, I think we can actually find kind of an explanation for this. So the Pool of Bethesda is this great big huge pool. There are actually uh, two of them, uh, and, and so there's one um, kind of bridge that goes in between the two pools, and that's what makes it so there are five porches. There are four around the side and one in the middle. But they would let water from one of the pools where the water was uh, collected, the rainwater and so on was collected. Uh, there was a, a, a gate we found archaeologically down um, towards the bottom of this that they could open and let water from the one pool into the other pool. And I would guess every time they did this, that it it bubbled up, right? That things were stirred and it was bubbled up. And uh, and so I don't know if it's really an angel or if it's just that bubbles happen when water gets through. Maybe it's not even when they let it, but uh, some escapes or something like that, and you get this bubbling. And so that seems like it's something that might really happen. So then we have to ask ourselves questions like, okay, well, if there's if it's a natural phenomenon, are people still healed? And I mean, I think actually, I don't really know what's going on with this story, but I think it is possible that sometimes we just need something to focus our faith, something to to help us believe we can be healed. In some ways, that's what anointing uh, is. When we have like real oil, we put on someone for a blessing. It just helps us focus our faith. But um, but there's that tradition, right? And then, as you said, and, and to me, those are some of the most poignant lines um, when uh, Jesus uh uh, said to him, uh, wilt thou be made whole? So that's verse six. Jesus uh, saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. And he saith unto him, wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him and said, uh, answered him, sir, I have no man, as, as you said, right? And I'm, I'm with you. That's, that's incredibly touching. Um, and I'm also with you where I think that to some degree, we need to take it upon ourselves that no one could never say that. Like they, they should know they have us. Yeah. Right? Uh, th- th- and I think that's what you're talking about when you say um, that we hold the happiness of a lot of people in our hands. They should know they have us. But I think I hope we also will know, because in the end, Christ doesn't help him down into the water. Uh, it, instead, he asks him, he says, uh, well, he's already asked him, will they be made whole? And he says, they have no man. And so then Christ just tells him. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed. Right? That's it's incredible. What an incredible thing. And so we should all there will be times when all of us feel I have no man. I just don't have anyone. No one's there for me, or no one can understand me. That's probably the most common one. No one can really understand what I'm going through. 
And in the end, it's never true because yeah. there's always Christ. We have that man. We all have that man and we're, we're never alone, but it would be nice if we had that man. And if we were that man for someone else, right? Yeah. And I think like, you're right, because we all know what it feels like to be that man, to have that moment where we feel, even though Christ is that man for us, sometimes we forget that and we need to remember that. And yeah. um, we all have this period of waiting. And for us, it's probably not always 38 years, but we all have a period where we kind of have to maintain our faith and remember um and come back and remember Christ is that man for us. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to feel it. Even when we know it intellectually, sometimes it's hard to feel it. And sometimes that might be what we have to wait for. Like, I know Christ is going to help us in this situation. I don't know when, and I'm not feeling the comfort right now. But but hang in there, and sooner or later, he will come and say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And that's I, I am convinced that there's someone... Uh, in our audience right now, uh, I'm sure more than one that uh, has been praying and waiting. When when is my miracle? Uh, and and asking for help and relief, and sometimes not feeling like anyone understands, and not feeling like God is there for them. But uh, I I hope everyone will just believe me that God is there. You may not be able to feel Him right now, and maybe that's because of uh, it's not the right time. And maybe it's uh, because it's not um, uh, it, there's something going on in your life, or maybe it's it's just um, that that uh, you have uh, a need to wait for something else to happen. But he is there, and he will give you what you need when you need it. In fact, it's part of the reason I was kind of hesitating right there is I was wondering if it's all right. We, this wasn't our plan, and I don't want to make you just uh, sit here forever, Brooke, but but maybe I could share a story as I was thinking about that, uh, something that really made this make sense to me uh, and, and, and brought it home to me. So um, my oldest son, who I think is just a little bit younger than you, um, when he was about a year and a half old, and so he was just kind of learning to talk. He couldn't say very much, but he could say a little bit, and he got really, really sick. And, uh, that was, that, that was, he, he had a number of days where he was throwing up just all sorts of vomiting. And anytime he ate or drank anything, he would immediately start to violently vomit. And it got to the point where we knew he was in danger of being critically dehydrated. And in fact, in the end, we did take him in and, and, uh, he had to get an IV. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell that part of the story also in a minute. So that can add to, to the first part of this story, but really, um, one of the more difficult parts for me, but also a lesson I'll never forget, was when I, I laid with him one day on the bed. We had this little hideaway or hide, hide a bed, you know, out of a couch, sofa bed, whatever you want to call it. Um, I I laid with him there for about an hour and a half, just holding him when he was really, really sick. And as I held him, he would just, like I said, he couldn't speak very much, but a little bit. And I was just holding him and he kept looking up at me and saying, water, daddy, water, water, daddy, water. And for like an hour and something, I think it was close to two hours, I just held him while he pled for water and I didn't give him any. And, uh, and I wondered how many times I have been like that with God because, you know, he could sense he needed water. He was absolutely right. Water was what he needed. He was in desperate need of it. Uh, and he was pleading and begging for it. But I knew something that he didn't know, which was right then 
the the timing wasn't right for him to get water. If he got water, then he would throw up more and be even more dehydrated. Um, and and so while he sensed the need, he didn't understand the timing the way I did, and that he needed to wait for a particular reason. And I did. I just lay there the whole time, both just tearing or torn up because here's my son pleading for water and I'm not giving it to him, and also. And and that kind of helped me understand God a, a bit more, but also wondering how many times I've pled with God for something I knew was good, I knew I needed, and God was saying, not now. Just trust me, this isn't the right time. Not now. And uh, and sometimes I need to remind myself of that when I'm pleading with God for things. And I'm sure there are people um, that are listening that, that have been or are going through that or have gone through something similar where they're asking God, why not? This is a good thing. I know this would be a good thing. You told me this would be a good thing, right? Or something along those lines. Um, and it reminds me that then we did take him in and he, and he finally did get better when we got him an eye on the IV. But I can also remember that, that um, the the doctor and the nurse, he was a feisty little guy, still is. And um they were trying to to give him the IV. I'm sure you can uh, picture this, right? Where the young kid wants an IV and they're trying to hold him and he's wiggling all over the place and they're trying to put the needle in. And and finally they're saying, this isn't going to work. We're going to have to strap him down or something. And I said, just l- let me hold him. And, uh, and I held him and I looked him in the eyes and held his arms and I said, this is going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And he's sitting there looking me in the eyes. He relaxes thinking he's safe and he's looking me in the eyes and they put the needle in him. And I still remember that look like, you just betrayed me. How could you let this happen? That I trusted you and I got this pain. And I again had to ask myself how many times I feel that way about God. Like he is holding me and telling me to trust him. And while I'm doing that, it's painful. Something bad happens. But the bad thing is actually exactly what I need. And that was what both got him rehydrated and he was able to get his stomach to settle down. And he was okay after that. After that, we we didn't have problems. Everything was all right. I mean, we had a Go easy on what he ate after that, right? The rice and bananas and applesauce and whatever. But um, but I am sure I've had that happen before and since then, where I just was looking up at God and trusting him. And then this bad thing happened, and I was like, well, how could you let this happen? And again, I have to remember, God knows what he's doing. And he will one day say to me or to my son, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And, and, uh, and we do have him. And hopefully we have, I mean, in some ways, my wife and I were that man for our son, even though he felt like we were betraying him, right? So hope, hopefully we can be that for other people. So I, I, that's a long story, sorry, but but you, the, the what you're talking about just is so poignant, I think that it, it reminded me of that story. So thanks for that. No, yeah, I love that. I think, yeah, that story kind of hits close to me because I've been a pediatric nurse. Um, I actually worked in the pediatric ICU for a long time. Oh, wow. And, That's got to be well, a, kind of a tough place to work, I think. Yeah, it's a tough place to work because I think when you're working with really sick little children, you always think that you're going to just see so many miracles and that because you care so much and because they're so little that everyone will be saved from their pain and their suffering. But I think one of the things that I've learned is just that miracles come in different forms, right? Mm. Sometimes you have to have the faith to be healed. And sometimes you have to have the faith not to be healed and to trust in God's timing. And that he's like, you know, in the story we talked about, he waited 38 years, but he might've, 
you know, that might not have happened if he hadn't have met the savior, but he still might've needed to maintain his faith. And I think throughout my career, I've realized that, um, at first I feel like I let it really get me down. I just like Mm. seeing like death and suffering and I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to make an impact, but sometimes it's really hard when things are, you know, day after day, you're with a family and a little child and you're trying to make a difference in their life and you're not sure if they're going to live or they're going to die or how it's going to shake out. But just learning to have the faith that however it shakes out, God is with us and he loves us and he has perfect timing and he has a perfect plan and that his plan, we can't see all of it from now till the beginning. Like right now is just such a small portion of eternity. And, um, and I think learning to accept that faith, um, that it's okay to not always have what you're longing for or to have, or to be healed at this time, um, is something that's really become more meaningful for me. But I also feel like the part of the story where it's like, I have no man, I also feel like I took that upon myself, like, well, even whether they're healed or not, I'm going to make this the very best experience I can and be the best nurse I can for them. Right. Um, and so I'm like, even if being the savior's hands is just being a kind word or a listening ear or a friend or a good nurse, I think that still is, um, you know, it's important work. And sometimes that is the miracle is just having somebody there, even if the outcome isn't what we want. Uh, that's really powerful. That's good stuff. And and you're right. Sometimes it doesn't turn out exactly how we want, but we have to trust it, that it turns out in the way that's going to be the best in the long run. So, yeah. But, uh, but, and, and one thing I have certainly learned over the last uh, year or so is to look for the little miracles. There are, even if you're not getting the kind of the big miracle you're praying for, there are a lot of little miracles along the way. And there's tremendous amount of peace and comfort in coming to recognize those as little signals that God is with you. And you just have to say, your will be done. You know what's best, but thanks for letting me know that you're there, that I'm not being ignored. Uh, but it's easy to not see that if you're not, if you're only focused on on the one thing and you're not willing to see the other little things, the, the little miracles along the way. So, yeah, I actually did this fun thing for a couple of years where every day in my journal, I would just write how I saw the hand of the, my, the Lord in my life that day. So I'd be like, today I saw the hand of my, of God in my life by this person remembering to reach out to me or this thing happened or this little miracle happened while I was going about my day. And I think when we're looking for those little moments, we tend to see them more and more, even though they're sometimes very small. That's one of the the valuable things of a journal that you kind of have to stop and look at that. In fact, I was just reading recently a study um, and I, I, I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast before. If I did, it's worth hearing again. Um, it was a study where they there were a, a number of people, I can't remember how many, but a, a pretty good number of people um, that they uh, self-reported as being severely depressed. And they asked them to every day log on to this certain website and write down three good things that had happened to them that day. And within, I, I can't remember the exact uh, numbers. I, I could, I'm sure I could find this and look it up, but it was like within two weeks, the majority of them had moved from uh, self-reporting again, but from severely depressed to moderately depressed and then even better, right? 
Um, and I think if, if they were writing not just good things that happened to them, but good things and the hand of the Lord that they saw, my guess would be that it would be an even uh, bigger difference, right? I, it didn't solve everything for them. It didn't say, okay, no depression, but it made a difference and a significant difference. And I think it can do that for all of us wherever we are. Uh, in life to to look for those little miracles and then hope for the day where the Savior says, rise, take up thy bed and walk, which yeah. you will sooner or later to all of us. Uh, and it will be rising from the grave and we won't need to take up our bed because I don't know if resurrected beings have to sleep. I just don't know. But anyway, <laughs> well, thank you, Brooke. I, I sure appreciate your taking the time. You've inspired me as we've been talking uh, and I've felt uplifted. And I, I believe that's uh, probably the case for uh, everyone listening. So thank you. No, thank you. It's been wonderful to be here. And uh, for our audience, if you've uh, heard something and you can think of someone that maybe you reach out and be that uh, man or that woman for them, or uh, or maybe you just share the, an encouraging thought uh, that you got from this or you share this itself or whatever, uh, just reach out to someone and, and, and uh, be that person, that man, that woman for them. So thank you and have a, a wonderful day.